I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, everybody. We've got something super exciting for you. Everybody loves a survey. Survey. Survey time. Survey time. Oh, my God. I love surveys. And you know what? It would actually mean a boatload to us if you could help us with the survey that we want you to do. We have some super important questions that we want to ask you. We're trying to figure some things out so that we can go on and, and develop this new crazy idea to, to change the world. Yeah, so we're not going to tell you too much about it because it's very top secret, keeping it very close to the chest right now, but it means a lot to us and it could change the world. And so you could be a part of that by going to sickboypodcast.com slash support and taking the super fun survey. And it's like a super fun survey that only takes like five minutes. If that. I think it takes less. I did it and it's very quick. Uh, you know what? It, you saying that, you saying that you did it makes me want to do it. So I'm going to go do it right now. Oh my God. Thanks, Brian. That's super helpful of you. And everybody listening should also pause the podcast right now. We're going to be back with some more important messages after this, but pause the podcast and go to sickboypodcast.com slash support and do the super fun survey. Super fun survey. Honestly, you'll like it. It'll make you think. Sickboypodcast.com slash support. Sickboypodcast.com slash support. Support slash support. Sickboypodcast.com slash support. Hey, everybody, Taylor here. And Brian. We have some live show dates that we want to tell you about. And if you want to get tickets for any of our live shows, you can go to sickboypodcast.com slash shows. So first up, we're going to be in Vancouver on October 29th and 30th at CBC Vancouver. The show on the 29th is already sold out. It's sold out in less than a day. So we added a second show, and that has very limited seats left. So get your tickets ASAP for that. We're going to love to see all y'all out in Vancouver. Uh, We're also going to be in Calgary on November 1st at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology uh, at SAIT. Tickets are on sale now for that as well. We will be in November. Uh, We will be in November by the time we get to Toronto, which is the fourth day of the month. Uh, We'll be at Entertainment One headquarters. We're doing a live show there. Tickets just went on sale. So if you're hearing this on Monday when this episode is released, definitely go get them right now. They're going to go very quickly. Uh, The following day on November 5th, we are going to be at the Ted Rogers Cinema for CBC's podcast playlist live, uh, part of the Hot Docs Podcast Festival. Um, So if you don't get to see us the day before, definitely come to that. Uh, Sorry, Victoria. We were trying to include you guys on this trip, but we had a little bit of logistical... Uh, a logistical hiccup, if you will, and weren't able to get a venue locked down. So we're confident that next time um, uh, we will have a venue. So we will see you the next time we come out west. And Halifax, we love you. Stay tuned. 
We're going to be announcing an upcoming show date before the end of the year. So stay tuned, Hellbacks. We love you very much. And later on in December, we are hoping to do two shows in the U.S. And they will be our first live shows in the U.S. We're looking to do one in San Francisco and LA. So if you are a listener in San Fran or LA and you know a good live show venue that we should know about, you can write into our Instagram. You can email us info at sickboypodcast.com, message us on Facebook, whatever way you want to get in touch with us. Give us your suggestions so we can get in touch with some bars down there and figure it out and bring the live show experience to the West Coast of the U.S. We want to see you there. Yo, Tay, uh, speaking of, of U.S. listeners, mm-hmm. um, we've, we've heard loud and clear from the people of Washington, D.C. that they want us to come there and do a show. Yeah, they're hardcore. So I think we're going to have to inco- uh, include them in a, in a live show tour date schedule for early 2019. Yeah, well, if you're a D.C. listener, why don't you go over to uh, our Instagram and uh, and leave some comments. We, we did a live show post the other day, um, and you can go on there and tell us what you think. And again, if you have any venue suggestions for Washington, D.C., let us know. We'd love to know where we can uh, have a show. So again, go to sickboypodcast.com slash shows for all of our tickets for our shows. Love y'all. See you soon. It's a tough, like, it's a tough little journey. Well, I'm a Kundalini freak. Yeah. Uh, but that's a different thing altogether. That's not exercise at right. all. It's not yeah. about, for me, it's not about asana. It's about, like, joyful heart, joyful breath, pranayama, yeah. all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. And uh, I didn't return to yoga until I was in cancer care. And there was one um, instructor uh, at the hospital who was giving basically free movement classes. But Ooh. what it really was was yoga. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, as soon as she said yoga, patients became intimidated. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so her having a movement class that encouraged people to get mobility back into their, uh, whether it was their arms from radiation or whatever it was. And it made me connect with her reasoning, which mm-hmm. was just basically, you know, Raga yoga. Yeah. You know? That's really interesting because for me, um, you talked about like the the power of having a group of people together practicing. But for me, the actual asana, I could, like I can, I feel like I can get the most benefit from a really individual practice, like doing it on my own. Yes. But, um, when it comes to like meditation or yoga nidra, yes, like being in a room with other people, Mm -hmm. there's something, even though it's like even more personalized, the experience, right. um, just having that energy around feels yeah. really powerful. Mm. Like I've had some of the craziest experiences in a, in a group of people, but like totally on my own, yeah. but right. with other people around. So you're probably, so if you were into Ashtanga, then you'd be familiar with Patabi <coughs> Joyce. Yes. And so Krishnamacharya was, you know, Patabi Joyce's teacher. Right. And Krishnamacharya had a handful of, of sort of, you know, disciples, if you will. And one of them uh, is a guy named Shrivatsa Ramaswamy, mm. and he's the last of this group of of, of students of, of his that are that are alive, that is alive. Um, and he's a teacher of mine, so he's been like the, the biggest influence on my style of teaching and my sort of 
um, my philosophy of teaching over the last, uh, I guess it's been like three or four years now. And, um, and so, and so there's lots of, actually at the studio, at the studio that I I own a yoga studio and I don't know if I mentioned that or if I said I just teach, but at the studio, it's like, it's like kind of everything under the sun. Everybody, every teacher has their own sort of background. Um, so there's like a, there's like a little bit of everything and then everybody who comes kind of kind of figures out which yeah, they, path there. Yeah, they yeah. sort of fall into the groove, the teacher that they that they sort of resonate with. Um, and so and in that way and in that way you see like a lot of people going to the same teacher's class. So you're kind of getting you're kind of getting this more like you're getting a bit of a continuous yes. study from the similar person. So like the source is similar. Yeah. Um, which which I find really helpful and um, and it, man, it can be so hard to find a yoga that, that mm. works. But what it's done is it's forced me to go inward. Mm. And so it, it actually taught me a big lesson this year, um, which is if I want to deepen my practice or, or just basically further my growth, I was forced mm. uh, to really examine and self-reflect and just do it myself. Yeah. Um, I went to a couple of classases that were Kundalini-based, and they were they're very whimsical. I know, a little yeah, whimsical yeah, I know. for me sometimes, it's, but yeah. joyful. Yeah. And it, was, it enabled me to just kind of become a 10-year-old. <laughs> There's something also about Kundalini that, uh, yeah, I, that's, that's it, the 10-year-old yes. thing. Yeah. I because love it. it's so, because if you went in there, like anybody who, especially somebody who's going, I'm not really, I've never really done that much yoga, doesn't really know what, what, what we mean by what Kundalini yoga is. Right. If you went to a Kundalini class, you'd spend the first five minutes being like, where the fuck am I? And what, what the fuck is going yeah, on? Yeah, what is yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah. But once you get over the barrier of doing some of the things that you're being asked to do, but it's fun, like exactly, jumping, and you start to go and yelling, "Oh my god, huh? I feel so free!" Yeah. Right. And this is because yeah. because yes. I'm totally out of my comfort zone, and now I'm okay with it. That's right. And there's such there's something so powerful about being outside of your comfort zone. And the best and part being is comfortable the, with it. Yeah, the best part is the giant orgy at the end of every class. Oh my <laughs> god, dude, the orgy yeah. is really the, the yeah. just the cherry. And you'd only <laughs> really know this if you really knew Kundalini. I'm in the, so I'm all, in all the you, wrong yoga school. All, all of you people like, listening at home, you're just really missing out. Uh, uh, I, before we get too far into yeah. it, I just want to kind of like step in here. We usually we don't usually have an intro. Uh, this is kind of how the podcast starts. But I think it. Very it, nice. it I think it is very. Um, I think we should take a moment just to introduce you to the listeners. And, and you know, I, I know we're going to get into quite of a story, uh, but Beth Torbert, is that, did I fuck your... That was my parents' name for me, but of course I am... What do you go uh, by now? Well, because I got married. Congratulations. Thank you. Third time's a charm. <laughs> uh, I'm Alan. I, of course, I have a habit of taking everybody's name, which is Beth why Allen. I have such a great time at the border. Beth Allen is nice, though. I like it, it too. rolls off the Beth tongue. Yes, very, yes, very nice. It almost Beth sounds Allen. like a hyphenated first name. Yeah. That's, oh, that's interesting. Right. Beth Allen. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. I like um, AKA Biff Naked. That's me. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you kind of, you sort of glossed over it, touched on it for a moment, but I guess we're here to talk about. Uh, your experience with cancer. Loved it. Yeah, I bet. I bet. No, 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 I loved it. Yeah. It was fantastic. I can't wait to get into that. Oh, no, I loved it. It was like, it basically jerked off the geek in me every yeah. day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, well, I'm fascinated it. by Let's this. Let's start with what, what kind of cancer did you have? I call it tit cancer, but it was breast cancer. Classic, yeah. classic. And it was yeah. like, you know... Um, for me, it wasn't. Uh, I was uh, a vegan since 1996. Uh, I was uh, orthorexic for a long time. Um, 
did yoga every day, probably worked out for two hours a day, did a 90-minute show every day. What's yeah. orthorexic? Uh, where I over-exercise. Addicted uh, to exercise. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, basically. And I think that it really gave me a sense of um, uh, euphoria. I used to think it gave me a sense of control, but really uh, exercise endorphins are amazing. They really do help you unless you have them flushing through you all the time. And then they you can have, be very addictive. You can't figure out your cortisol and your dopamine, but mm-hmm. that's another subject altogether. Uh, so I was really, really fit, really thin, um, and uh, I was a raw food vegan and a fruitarian at that point in my life. What's a, what's a fruitarian? So, and it was accidental. I didn't know I was a raw food vegan. I just didn't eat any cheese or milk or meat or anything like that. I didn't eat bread. And uh, when we went on all these extensive tours in places like Europe or the southern United States, they gave the band beer and pizza. Yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, in my yogi brain because at the time I was very stressed out and missed my dogs. And, uh, you know, always I felt like I was always on the edge of not keeping my shit together. So I really went inward with reading and... Um, I guess, I don't know, spiritual textbooks. I loved theology. I'm just a geek for theology. Mm -hmm. And my dad was uh, a dentist, but also he dropped out of medical school and gave me all his medical textbooks. So I drag all these things on the road. And then, um, you know, I just would fast a lot if I couldn't have beer and pizza Mm. because I didn't drink. I didn't eat stuff like pizza. Uh, So I would fast and I would, you know, kind of enshroud it in my mind in this like, oh, it's... You know, I'm I'm reaching a higher consciousness because I'm above this. It's okay. Sure. And it, it helped me kind of feel calm in a way in a stressful situation. And I always felt happy, uh, but I was, as a result, really thin. Was this, was this, do you think this was crossing over into like eating disorder oh, territory? absolutely okay. it was. Okay. And I get accused of it all the time because a lot of people uh, who became introduced to raw food veganism it became quite popular, mm-hmm. and a lot of girls, particularly, I don't know about guys, but girls get accused all the time yeah. uh, of doing it for dieting or this type of thing. And for me, it just really was an accident. I just wouldn't eat pizza or beer. I couldn't find any, there were no vegan restaurants when I was in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, good luck finding a fucking apple in like Albuquerque. Well, this you is know, the like- thing. So, and I would eat a banana or I'd eat an apple. If I couldn't find anything, I'd get a red pepper from the grocery store and sure. eat that before I went on stage have an orange afterwards. And this kind of went on literally for a couple of years. And someone went, you're a raw food vegan. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I am. I just feel better because if I eat like this and then suddenly everyone goes for Chinese food in the band and I go, well, I'll just have a bowl of plain rice. You know, I won't shit for a week, you know, right. and I'll have a stomachache because I'm not used to eating stuff like that. Uh, and a fruitarian was, again, accidental. Tomatoes, cucumbers, avocados are all fruits. So ultimately, they fall into that category. How was your health throughout all of this? I never got a cold. I never had allergies. Okay. I, never, I slept four hours a day because that was the job. It's still my job. Uh, when I'm touring, we don't tear down till three in the morning. And if you get up at five regularly, yeah. you're going to sleep until six. So you run on very little sleep. But I felt that I was, you know, I did fine. I never really 
thought about it. I just didn't get sick. You, then, you said that though. You said you were like kind of on the on the borderline of like yes. like stress and, yes. and like almost probably anxiety to oh, a certain absolutely. extent. Absolutely. But then then at the same time you said you were really happy. I so, felt well. That's also a compensation. It's it's in a way it's a coping skill. Okay. And for me as a optimistic person, um, you know, even if I was freaking out. I learned because of probably being a performer and never being by myself ever yeah. uh, in a bus situation or, or anything like that. I just never was that girl who was, no matter what was going on, going to be mopey or going to be like mm. bring that energy onto my band because they were already like infants, like right. babies. What's they, the, sorry, I interrupted. That's okay. Um, what's the... Uh, what's, what? How hard is it to be a touring musician? Like, what? It's like, easy. It's, it's it's easy. Like, you don't you don't find that the that like the buses. I mean, I guess everybody has their own experience with it. Like, some people are like, "Oh, the road destroys me." And see, because hey, you know. feel that way. I know exactly. And I'm the opposite of you. Well, I don't feel that way about us because we do pretty short short stints. We, I'm more so thinking of like you're on. Like, how long would be well, that's like a not big today. tour? So back in the day, it was buses. Uh, and you'd be out there for 10 weeks at a time, um, which is hard if you're with a bunch of guys who, you know, are drunk all the time or they sneak off to get cocaine or mm-hmm. stuff like that. Were um, you not a partier? No, I went, I became a straight edge when I was about 24 oh, yeah. because that was basically the way I framed not drinking and smoking. Which Do you have any straight edge tattoos? You're no. covered in tattoos, so I'm like, no, maybe there's just giant X on accept, your back. No, I accept my hands all the time. And yeah, right. At, at the time, and you know, now I don't identify as anything, even though I haven't changed any of my behaviors. Um, I couldn't drink on tour because I would lose my voice. Right, of course. Yeah. I just talk too much, laughing, ha you know, I just, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do it. Yeah, Pick, and as the front woman of a, of, a, of a fucking rock band, like, your voice is so pressure. cute. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. Do you think that that, like, the, the way that you lived your life actually increased the longevity of your career by by not being, um, like, in, in, encompassed in that, that kind of party lifestyle? No. You don't? Uh, not at all. <laughs> I, I see too many people that I know who still tour, who still drink like fish, get paid in beer, the same things. And with us, like the touring thing, sometimes you get a bus. If you're in Europe, you need one because you don't know where you're going. (laughs) Uh, But here, for example, I prefer to drive the van. And Mm. I always do the driving because I'm sober. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, it never gets old for me. I don't know when the hell it'll get old because it really should. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it never does. And I still like it. And I still, I love it. I've been on tour since 1989. I love that you love it because I romanticize the fuck out of that idea a touring musician like that's like that that's my that's one of my like you know when i daydream of past lives that's that was me one day a touring musician Mm. it's fun to perform every day yeah and i mean that's that's the bottom line nothing else really nothing nothing close to it unless you have a podcast yeah well (laughs) and that's for that's what it is for me like you know the creative um expression has always been so important to me and it used to be acting. Acting Your was like chakra that was my very active. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh, definitely for sure. And yeah. so podcasting was the replacement for that for me. It was That's like right. I've I've never I've never felt more satiated than mm. than w- like last night when we sit in front of a crowd of you yeah. know a hundred people and 
Oh, it's a high. Crack jokes about for sure. Shit. You know, <laughs> nice. like poop. You that's know, nice. like that like to me, that's just it's a high for uh, sure. And I guess I, I guess we haven't really gotten like <coughs> the taste of uh of of like the the really constant like one day we're here, the next day we're right. there, the day after that we're in a different place. Like I haven't really gotten that taste, so I don't know how I feel about it. But my the the moments where you're on where you're performing right. are incredible. Yeah. Like it's that's the like you're doing it all for that. Mm-hmm. And if the and if the pleasure of that exceeds the the like oh gotta get up at six, get on the get like get get in the car, pack the shit, do all the things, drive, eat probably not that great food because we're on the road. Yeah. And right. like if 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 the pleasure of the stage and the high of the stage and the performance exceeds that all the other stuff then you're going to you're getting a positive you're coming like you're cuz yes. it's just you're just weighing one against the other and as long as the the performance and the high from that is better then you're going to be you're going to so obviously that's still how you feel it's the reward yeah it, it, every day is a reward and um i mean i don't know it was uh if i wouldn't have gotten diagnosed with breast cancer i never would have stopped touring and uh, it forced me to stop in my tracks. At yeah. the time, I was doing a martial arts TV show. We were in between like European tours, American. T- I mean, it was just relentless. So, what, was, what yeah. was the moment when you when you realized that something was a little bit off? I was scratching my armpit. This <laughs> no, takes us really? back to me being completely underweight, and uh, you know, I had I don't know, I might have had eight percent body fat. Uh, so I didn't have, you know, I didn't have these like, you know, great tits. I had nothing. And my skin was really thin and it felt like there was a chickpea, a, a hard little chickpea, um, kind of like on the, to- uh, on the top of my chest almost. It wasn't even, it was upper uh, left quadrant of the breast. And I was literally scratching my armpit and went, whoa, what is that? Whoa. And then kind of like palpitated this weird chickpea and I went, holy fuck. I have breast cancer. I knew. Oh, you knew you knew it. Knew it. Well, and I don't. I wasn't a hypochondriac or anything like that. And I don't think I was like, you know, some goddess intuition bullshit <laughs> from the moon. Like, a, <laughs> you know, no offense to anyone who actually has that. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like, you know, for some reason, and I don't remember if it was in high school or when we were told that. But if you have a lump and it hurts, it's a cyst. Yeah. If it doesn't hurt, it's bad. And oh, that's wow. always what I we nev- thought. I never heard that before. Oh. Yeah. I, I don't know where I sure. picked it up, yeah. but that was my thinking. And then I went to my GP the next day, and I was 36 at the time. And at this point, how long have how long have you been a Biff naked? How long have you been like touring musician? Since I was 18. 18 to 36. Yeah. Okay. And I never stopped. And how old are you now? I'm older. Okay. <laughs> so that was, ten, that was over 10 years ago. I'll fucking Google it. It, was, tw- it was 12 years ago. No, it was 12 years ago. Got it. I'm going to be 50 in like, you know, a couple of years. That's super exciting. Yeah, I love I, it. I, I, yeah, okay. And, so, and I never thought that I would live uh, this long. Yeah. Um, so well, it's why not like, though? You never thought that you'd live this long, but you well, have no, like so many no healthy... No punk rock ha- chick I ever knew thought we would live past 30. I remember telling my poor mother that I was going to die of a gunshot wound. Well, Courtney Love's still alive, so I mean, you get, there's some, yeah. somehow you guys yeah. fucking make it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's, that 20, there's that 27 club, man. Like that's, yeah. a, that's a dangerous age. That's a weird thing, isn't it? Once yeah. you get past yeah. it, though, I think that's you're, right. you're going to go to the 99 club. Exactly. And if you look at bands like Kiss, even Sylvester Stallone, is he in his 70s? Who fucking knows? Sylvester Stallone in the 70s? Yeah, and uh. Creed is coming out next month, another Creed movie. Like, I mean, you know, now things have changed. Yeah. And, and things have changed a little bit, I think, for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
previously I never would have wanted to survive and live this long because I'd be like, are you kidding? I got to, A, I got to still tour, B, I got to like, get old in front of people what the hell but now and now I look at like Tina Turner and I go yeah. you know what she's in a mini skirt because that's her deal that's her shtick and she still does it you know who else is 50 J-Lo Amazing. J-Lo, J-Lo is, 50, is that's right. 50 Gwen Stefani. Years. Whoa. Oh, don't yeah. Gwen Stefani is If I saw Gwen Stefani money, walking down the street, money, I would take this money. wedding ring and I would whip it at her face okay. so hard and that's scream, right. please. Yes, yes. I am so So would I. Is so she 50? Yeah. Uh, but. 69, baby. You, you Damn, know what, dude. You know what, though? I, I do want to say, like, through, um, never through, like, through emailing and, and corresponding with you, um, um, like, leading up to this, I, I don't think I've ever, like, uh, corresponded with like a more happy, optimistic, outgoing person that you can tell just through like oh, through like, the way that you're writing. Yeah, and, yeah, I and, like and stuff. Then, but like, and meeting <laughs> you right now, like I, I'm just I'm kind of surprised that because like you just seem like such an eternal optimist that something like I'm like living forever would be like optimist. oh like even though everybody I well I, I like to think that everybody knows that they're gonna die someday. Sure, like. It just you just seem like the epitome of like happiness That's and like good. Okay, yeah, it's I great. I don't think I, it's, it's gloomy to to think about or talk about death or well, to even envision it. Like amen. when I yeah. was diagnosed, yeah. I went to the GP. He was like, "Don't worry about it. You're a vegan." Literally is what he told me. <laughs> really? Said, yes. Interesting. I said I need a mammogram. He said you're not old enough. It's not covered. So I can't say, I can't refer you for a mammogram. I said you have to. I Whoa, have cancer. it's not covered by even though he could probably just like feel that and go. That's he said it's probably nothing. Oh wow! But I mean that happens a lot, and it yeah. happens to a lot of people. And if I was a different kind of person, I might have gone. Oh, thank God you said that. I feel so much better. And just gone home. Yeah, right. Which yeah. But I been, knew I needed yeah. a mammogram, and yeah. a, again, it's not like I was like a hypochondriac. I just was like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just. No, this is weird. Like, it's new. I've never had it before. I think it's weird. And I didn't do self-exams. No chick I know. I still don't do them. Yeah. I mean, just like, do you do a ball exam? No, they feel mm-hmm. weird. I mean, They're I play with weird. my balls like, <laughs> Which is like 75% exactly. of the day, Which but I have, I'm not thinking about it, you know? But I just thought, you know, Ram Das, for example, who is a, an amazing uh, philosopher and writer, I remember, and I used to do my liner notes in all my CDs, and I used one of his quotes, mm. which was, death is like taking off a tight shoe. And it Ooh. resonated with me, and I think that I didn't realize how my life actually was, how stressed out I actually was. Mm-hmm. Because when the, the results came back uh, from my biopsy, and they said, you have breast cancer, I was like, thank fucking God. Like, I am so tired. I am exhausted. Now Whoa. I can croak. Everyone is off the hook. Everyone can just like, you know, it, it's a noble death. You know, good looking corpse. You know, we're good. I'm good. Yeah. I am happy to go out like that. You know, and I thought, that's great. And then I thought, oh, shit. Actually, no, I don't want my dogs to have to live without me. I want them to croak before me. And luckily that did happen. You know, as so, dogs do. Yeah. As they yeah. often do. Often do. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, so it was amazing. It was a lot of epiphanies. And the first one was that I was actually thinking I could get off the hook. So uh, interesting. Yeah. Life. Yeah. Mm. That, you know what, there's something. So I, I, I cannot agree with you more about that, that loving that quote, uh, death is like taking off a, a tight shoe. Like yes. I, I, I've been, I've been 
especially for the last like three years, we've been talking about death a lot. And I've been really preaching this idea of like, like own your death, yes. embrace your death, yes. take it, take it in, take it in and, and love it and find, find yes. the, find the, the, the joy that can really exist in the letting meaning. go mm. in letting go of, of, of this very small momentary blip of time because, right. you know, I, I don't know what comes next and who gives a fuck what comes next, but right. it, if there is something that comes next, it's, it's going to be beautiful. Yes. Um, uh, so it is very refreshing to hear, to hear someone come on and say something. And I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anyone come on the show and say that I found my, I got my diagnosis and was like, <sighs> you know, Absolutely. like to, that to, was my first response to just sink into it and willingly with open arms. Mm-hmm. Like that is, that's fucking punk rock. Right well, there. I don't know if it's punk rock. I think, I think it's pretty badass. But it's never changed either, and I still think that all the time. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't really change. Um, I think that I survived for lots of different reasons, um, partly medicine. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, being um, it, it brought me into peer volunteering, and I never would have been off the road and in a hospital setting for enough time to discover that I really liked it and I should have not been a rock person. I should have been a porter because I love the hospital. Whoa. They should employ me. <laughs> um, and I, and I, I came into palliative care volunteering and mm. I discovered, wow, a lot of people really don't like doing this. I really like mm. it. I don't know why, but I'm into it. And mm. I, I think that this is kind of the direction that I need my life to go. And it was... Man, it was just like epiphany after epiphany. And I don't think that it's the usual cheesy, oh, let's find the blessing in the disease or any of these things, because it is common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is partly a coping technique, but partly because it's true for it's, people. Yeah. It's true. You know, yeah. when you're in a, a crisis, whether it's a health crisis or a family death or, or, or something that is a catalyst for change, mm-hmm. You're going to discover all the strengths you have. You're going to discover the strengths and weaknesses in everyone around you. I think that's so poignant because, like, that's the, so one of the questions that uh, we usually ask uh, our guests on the podcast is: is what is the what what is something that uh, your illness has given you? And a lot of times, it's it's like this renewed, like this new perspective on life, sure. or like this appreciation for many different things, but. But it's always seems like that is something that they discover in in hindsight, mm. like looking back at it, or when they actually take the moment, like when right. we ask, ask the question. Then it's almost like they're having that thought now. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you had that, like, like boom, like you're diagnosed and you're like, oh, amazing! This is so great because now I have this gift. perspective. Like, yeah. yeah, it's 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 pretty incredible that you. Well, Beth Torbert like didn't that. get diagnosed. Also, Biff Naked got diagnosed, so that was a whole different thing too, and it became a, a weird. Just a weird thing, just like pregnant ladies, uh, people touch them all the time. Mm-hmm. People will touch you if you're pregnant. Yeah. yeah. You know, people who don't know you. And if you're Biff naked with breast cancer, it's different than being Beth Torber with breast right. cancer. So, what do you mean, what, what do you mean like by the, that? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, because I was never allowed to, to be anonymous, I didn't have any, uh, right. any privacy. <laughs> and uh, which was fine, but this was pre Instagram, it was pre Twitter, mm. so it wasn't common. Uh, for girls to like Instagram and Snapchat their wig fitting, yeah. you know, or whatever it was. And now it's just like, I mean, you know, now some of the old soldier, old hags like us that, you know, made it, we make fun of the young ones, yeah. you know, and, and there's a real hierarchy. And I don't know if this happens in, in other 
areas, but there seems to be sometimes I've discovered with cancer patients and cancer care, there's, there's a tier system among the patients who's ba- more badass, who has a worse diagnosis, you know, and a lot of women are not, um, their symptoms are not taken seriously if they still have hair. Mm. Yeah, well, that's where right. a lot of like sufferers wow. and yes. survivors guilt comes from, you know. Oh, it's like, sure. Did yeah, you find that the that the that like the what year was that that you had that sing that single that just totally exploded um, in like or, like two thousand ish? Still waiting for it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're talking about. I love myself. I love yeah. myself today. Yeah. Yeah. Was that like two thousand ish? Probably. I think it was a little later than that. It was. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, Probably w- became more well known than say Spaceman, which yeah. was a younger audience. Right, yeah. and so like when w- w- did that affect you negatively or positively? Being like you are, you kind of it's kind of somewhere in the answer there that Biff Naked got the diagnosis. That's not right. Beth. Now, like, did that affect you negatively or positively on the diagnosis side, where you felt like this public persona of mine has cancer, and did it affect how you how you were able to deal with it? Um, all I knew how to do was perform. Mm. So then being in the cancer ward, in a chemo ward or anything, the first thing I noticed uh, was nobody talked. So you go into the room, if there are four other patients in there, nobody's talking. Mm-hmm. So you just all, just start acapella, just so start singing suddenly, like, Space Man! I'm out in my, and they're like, what or the they, fuck? Or they ask me to sing. Oh, no, really? Every time. Uh. <laughs> so they either ask me to sing, or I just naturally am going to like pull out the top hat and cane. Yeah, right. You know, and, <laughs> and Because I can, I'm an elevator talker. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I try and diffuse it, and being a performer, I think no matter what happened, you know, I can... I don't know, I can pass out in a chair or my surgical port will cause me to faint or whatever the case. I'm still going to be singing Spaceman. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm yeah. Not, I, I have to have a game face on. It was just mm. really different. And uh, at the time, I was not in a healthy relationship at home. So that individual's coping technique was not all that healthy. And, uh, and I couldn't really do anything about that or talk about it or... Or get any relief, or I don't know. It was uh, it, it benefited me being a performer. Well, right. that, that's the other thing I wonder about this, like this really like um, optimistic outlook that you have on your diagnosis. I, I'm I, I'm curious how people in your life uh, felt about your diagnosis um, because you're obviously like, oh, th- well, this is great. Right. Now I can actually like. Did you talk I'm, about it like that openly to the oh, people all the in your time. life? Oh, yeah. Oh, but all the how time. Did, and how did they but respond? I, I also have like four best friends that I've had mm-hmm. since I was 18. Okay. So they know for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, and they will joke with me. We named my tumor. You know, they said, can I have your sneakers if you die? Because you know, <laughs> that's how our humor is. What did you name the tumor? Uh, Jojo. Mm-hmm. And I didn't name it. My, my best friend named it. Um, and it was out. It was cut out pretty quickly. Um, you know, Did you call it, your scar Casey? No. Oh, Do you have a scar yeah. named Casey? You beat me to uh, it. Casey That's and JoJo. Cool. That's, uh, yeah. I was, you know, oh, I see. Right. Very cool. We'll throw back to some yeah. 90s. Yeah, no, it was, <laughs> I don't know. It was just like, yeah, my, my family was pretty cool about it. Um, it wasn't until I started doing palliative care volunteering that I experienced witnessing family members and friends of patients mm. that would basically throw themselves on the, the hospital bed of the person who's like trying to watch the sports channel and just basically like they're at the wailing wall, start yeah. wailing on this person. 
and me going, you need a you need a fucking bouncer in here. Yeah. This is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Like I know, know a few. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like yeah. y- y- it was interesting to learn how other people's families and the other dynamics uh, for other people was and it was generally really unhealthy um it was very common we had really we, we, interesting. we were just at breakfast and we were Ooh. talking about how the how oftentimes when someone dies or when someone gets a diagnosis of something it's it's oftentimes the 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 system the support system around the person that's sick that actually needs needs the most support yes and it and it often ends up on the shoulders of the person that's, that's sick right. to give the support to, to reassure okay it's fine I'm, right. I'm i'm accepting of it i'm, ta- I'm yes. taking the steps that need to be done to get healthy or whatever absolutely and it, it seems unfair and and but it, it also is a is kind of this it's natural it's this is natural way it's like people just there's something about the human condition that makes us think Oh, this is affecting me in this way, and how do I protect myself against this? Like Biff's sick, and that makes me feel this way, and I don't like it, and right. and I need I need this, and I need that. It's just this kind of natural. Again, narcissism might be the might be too strong of a word, but there's some narcissistic characteristics in how people take news and how they need to be comforted, Ooh. and we all have it. You know, mm-hmm. like when someone dies, it's the it's the grief. It's how you how you do how you feel when someone gets sick, how you feel about that person's Absolutely. diagnosis. Did you feel like you needed to be the support system for anybody around you? Well, sure, you? and I do think, I agree with you. I think it's natural for people. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, they, they unconsciously do that. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're not, you know, awakened individual or evolved enough to not make it about themselves. It actually is not even, I don't even know if it's narcissistic because they are, um, just unaware. They're, mm-hmm. they're not in touch with themselves to even recognize that that's what they're doing to a patient. But when a patient is living, uh, not yet dead, and having to, uh, it would be natural for that person to console. So they're mm-hmm. consoling their parents mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're sick and they're mm-hmm. consoling their spouse, their children. You know, it's very exhausting. But... Uh, Ultimately, you know, suddenly it's almost weird. You can look at it in a in a bit of a um, a spiritual way. You know, I'm always going to find a silver lining to everything, whether it's a childlike optimism or whether it is I'm going to find a spiritual meaning behind mm-hmm. it. And and I sometimes think that the patient almost <coughs> becomes resilient uh, to having any <coughs> any sense of resentment uh, for those people who are. Uh, unconsciously trying to burden them mm-hmm. with their own mm-hmm. shit. Right. Did, did Ramdas or yoga and all this stuff? Did that all come before, like before you got sick? Absolutely. Was that stuff that you were already into? I so there was something called the Krishna punks uh, that was happening. Uh, all our heroes were into it. So Cro-Mags, John Joseph, uh, who's a huge hero of mine and has been since. Uh, I don't know, like the 80s. Mm -hmm. Um, They became really interested in Hare Krishna. And when we were in the early 90s and stuff and all our friends started shooting heroin on the West Coast, um, you know, we would go kind of start reading about Krishna consciousness to try and basically avoid shooting smack. And uh, just in my own um, discovery, uh, you know, the Tao, Buddhism, Krishna, like all... All theology, all religion leads to the same place, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah. You know, people get pissed when I say that, especially, you know, 
really right. fanatical people. Yeah, they're right. like, oh, you are. The world would be a much better you're place. You're speaking if the we devil, could, bitch. If and we I'm could like, all understand that. It great. All I love that. I love yeah. him too. Um, <laughs> many, many ways, many ways to the top of the mountain, you know? But yeah. You know, and I think it is, uh, I think that probably also is something that for me probably benefited me. And uh, a lot of people who I've met in cancer um, care in North America, mostly uh, the white people I've met are all Christians. And the people who are more faith-based in their life tend to not necessarily survive longer, but they survive all the shit yeah. uh, emotionally a little bit better because really and truly faith does get people through. And that's what gets people through, uh, whether it's you know yoga consciousness, whether it is the Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, doesn't matter. Faith really does help people get through. And if it's just, you know, faith in the medical system mm-hmm. or faith that your spouse is going to be really wonderful, you know, with your surviving kids or dogs or, you know, your faith will always get you through. We had this, um, we had this really amazing uh, guy on our podcast, a, ch- a chaplain named David McGinley. It was our 100th episode. And, and he Ooh. was, uh, what, what, what religion was he associated uh, with? Episcopalian but, maybe? Uh, or maybe it was uh, maybe no, it was uh, what's the one that starts with the P? Protestant uh, pa- or something like that. Pescatarian. <laughs> yeah, Pescatarian. <laughs> so, but he was he, Presbyterian. He, it might have been Presbyterian, been, yeah, but he he so he he had a religious affiliation, but his message was like he was almost like I, I, I might get. I might get a bit of hate from the people in my religion, but I really am I'm trying to preach this ultimate belief in right. this higher power, so that there's some type of consolation and. Like to the entire process of of dying, and and mm-hmm. it makes it easier also for the family, yes, to go through the grieving process as well. Um, and he was like, "Look, I just I don't care what you believe in necessarily, just that you have a belief in something." Yes. Sure. he's a fascinating. He's a guy functioning on another. Wow, he very much. He is a very, he's one of those like special people where when you have a conversation with him, you're like. You're better for having met you are, him. Oh yeah, you're on another Isn't level. That amazing? Yeah, he's, he's very, he's very much, he's very, very like, special. he's he's very akin to to like reading Ramdas. Like, yeah, like yeah. when you read Ramdas and, yeah. and you you just feel like you just feel like every sentence is changing your soul. Like there's so much perspective in his words. You know yes. what though? Also, I, I think a lot of that wisdom comes from you know he does have that whole back background of of his his religion and his teachings and his upbringing, but he also I think took a lot of that wisdom from when he, he died. Right, yes. yeah, he, that's right. He actually lost his life, uh, flatlined, and was revived, yes. and had a, you know, which a lot of people mm-hmm. have this experience of like a, a, the, the near-death experience. Yes. Well, he had an experience, and it was very tangible for him, and he worked that into what he was already sort of working with in his life and his beliefs. And I, I think it's, mm-hmm. it just, it, it, uh, it definitely aided him in... in and Ram, becoming more, I don't know, like like powerful with, yeah. with his message. And, and Ramdas, Ramdas was at the heart of I can't <coughs> remember his name, what his what his like given name was. No, I can't remember it. But um, he was at the heart of uh, like the Harvard studies for LSD. Yeah. And then when right. it came down that That's LSD, right. that LSD Gross. was like. <laughs> You know, you can't. That LSD became illegal, or whatever they did legally for LSD. They, they, you know, they stopped the, they stopped the trials, and and Ooh. and then he, he, I think, then he started carrying out these, these, uh, uh, not approved 
LSD, LSD studies, and but it it, yeah. it led him into this into this this world of like spirituality, and mm-hmm. and I I would I, I would I'm sure I don't know that, but I'm sure that he would look to LSD and go, yeah, my experiences with LSD have influenced like all these like all this the years and years yeah. of 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 practice and philosophy that I've that mm-hmm. I've had, and I mean yeah, I would God. recommend him to like anybody who's going through life in general. But especially really tough shit like dying or pe- mm-hmm. or grief for people that are leaving or illness or whatever because there's just so much perspective in his words. Sick Boy Podcast. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I want to take it back to to your particular experience with cancer and breast cancer, tick cancer. Sorry, uh, yeah. your tick cancer. It's funny. Uh, and, it's uh, funny. Yeah, it is. We're gonna, we're gonna call I love it the word tit. This episode is gonna be called tit. Biff's yeah, tit Biff's tit. The year cancer. of the tit. Yeah. And there's something very different between tit and tits. Tit is like is like singular. Yeah. As a it it it's the like it, it comes off yeah. very well. So you're when you were going through it, um, the the treatment phase of things. How how challenging was that for you to like go from the lifestyle you were living and then right into fighting this cancer with with however you fought it? It was annoying. Yeah, in a way because uh, the first um, it was a bit of a hand wringing <coughs> experience deciding to to do chemo. Um, my parents really wanted me to live. So my, yeah. they're both academics, and they were like, "Why is this a question?" I'm like, "Because of animals, yeah. and you know, or whatever my my things were." And uh, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I know a lot of vegans, for example, especially now in the world where there's a lot of vegan police. Uh, you know, it's a thing. Don't get mad. Uh, people <laughs> Dude, get admonished thing, yeah. for doing Scott chemotherapy Pilgrim. because of medical the testing. animal testing. Whoa! Yeah. And in Canada, it is the law mm-hmm. to uh, test medicines. On animals. Yeah, so right. we're working against uh, animal testing for cosmetics in Canada. We're trying to get that banned. Um, and that's something that I am you know, trying to get behind and encourage other people to get behind. But as far as medicine goes, you know, we're not really allowed to even touch it because it is the law. Mm-hmm. Um, I can offer and sign up for clinical trials. You guys can sign up for clinical trials. We can do our best to say, well, just test on me instead. But for the rest of the world, it's illegal. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, you know, my argument, and I had to argue my case with a lot of vegans who are like, you know, you're such a hypocrite doing chemo. And I'm like, okay, you go die. Yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds yeah. Extreme. Yeah. What do you do? extreme. It is. I was also accused of not being a vegan. I mean, that sounds like Bob Marley yeah. being like, well, you know what? It, whatever, dead. You yeah. know, like it just sounds like, yeah, it was, you know, what a, wa- what a waste. Like you could have been, you could have been saved, but you, but you, you know, I, that, that sounds, my girlfriend's vegan. She's been vegan for the better part of two decades. And, uh, and that is just, I've never heard of that. I didn't oh, know. Oh, it's amazing. And you know, I, I am very, very lucky because I basically fly under the radar. Uh, I'm non-confrontational. I do try to be optimistic. I don't, you know, engage with people who are that type of way. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But for example, I, I think it was Miley Cyrus or 
I forget who it was, but people very, very frequently say, I hope you get cancer to her on social media. I hope your family dies of cancer. Go die. Like all, it's amazing uh, the world we live in. Right, and yeah. so back, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when I was um, debating, you know, and the fact that I had a debate is actually, you know, really nuts, but debating what treatments to, to do. Um, it's you know, seemed- I had to literally weigh that in my mind. So yeah. you were thinking, like, oh, I wonder What's if I, backlash? I wonder if I won't do well, this it's not because even of that. Because there are a lot of people who aren't sick, uh, who say, oh, you should just only do cannabis oil, or oh, you can do this Ooh, with Gerson, or you can territory. go to Mexico. And I, and as a volunteer, I still hear that to this day. A mm. lot of people, well, no, my mom doesn't want to go the chemo route. She wants to do it naturally. And I have to keep a neutral face mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, how can I support you? Mm-hmm. And that's my job. How can yeah. I support you? I can't say, Not oh, to argue. yeah, <clears throat> you know, and I can't sit there and tell them, well, I knew three other girls who died from, you know, I can't. Yeah. Um, so for me, I chose to do chemotherapy and uh, because I had a pre-existing heart condition, um, which we'll still get to because it gets worse. Um, where I was born with a PFO, it was a hole in in the heart wall. Okay, uh, I wasn't eligible for some of the chemotherapy stuff that my colleagues or fellow patients were on, so I had to do six rounds of something, uh, this one drug, and then I had to do because my breast cancer was estrogen receptor positive, meaning being a chick, you know, made it worse. Mm-hmm. Being chick, having chick hormones. You know, made it worse. You know, don't you don't want to get aroused or anything. If your estrogen flows, you're like, ah, don't arouse me. My tumor will grow. It just, um, it, just it just like feeds the tumor, estrogen. Estrogen. So Whoa, it grew fuck. from estrogen, and so uh, they had to keep there. me on something called a biological um, for 11 months, which is why I got the surgical port. Surgical port was a problem because I have a procoagulant blood disorder. That means I make clots. I love them. I love sticky blood. I love making (laughs) clots. I love throwing them. And uh, I got a clot in the port and uh, had to have it taken out. Um, But I loved my port. You know, I loved it all. Uh, I was skinny enough that it looked like a bottle cap under my collarbone. It was like really, I looked like I was in the Borg. I'm scared of ports. I haven't had one yet. And the day will come, but I. It was easy. (sighs) I loved it. But I'm also, you know, for me, you know, just like getting tattooed or anything that hurts. Uh, molar removal. I don't take any drugs for that. I don't like getting frozen. That's gnarly. Right? Because so awake. the reaction you guys have makes it worth it for me. That. <laughs> that's all there is. That's the, right there. No is, that's why. I was no with shit. you on the tattoo thing, and then you said molar removal. I yeah. was like, fuck that. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, different, that's, that's a different crazy. level. Yeah. That's so, you're, so, so you're a masochist? Yeah. No, I just, you know, it was just part of uh, my attitude where. I didn't want to take painkillers or anything like that because I wanted to know uh, how long it was hurting. Wow. You know, I don't want to cover up a headache. Yeah. You know, I want to know if I can just like have is water. This, or is this part exercise. of that straight edge thing? Or Probably yeah. part of a that. A little bit, yeah. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, the surgical port thing was like a cool factor for me. It was like right. about being tough and... And uh, it made me feel empowered. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's part of like the optimism of you though too, and like that and like that always trying to find the positive because in a way it almost sounds like you know like that dealing with a molar removal for example without any meds it's like like feeling this intense feeling makes yeah. me feel alive. Like plus it's, it's, it's interesting, crazy. absolutely. Yeah, it is. Plus yeah. it's very interesting. I mean, um, 
Yeah, Novocaine. If I didn't know what Novocaine felt like, uh, I wouldn't be able to speak to it. Uh, years later, I'm going to fast forward, after my tit cancer, um, I had uh, a kidney infarct, which was a stroke in my kidney. And that was because... A stroke in your kidney? I had a hole in my heart, and the blood clot that I had went the wrong way and went into my kidney instead of my brain or my heart. That sounds, oh. like, that sounds like overall good news. Technically, it was good news, but when I went into emergency, I was like, I can't stand up. I don't know what's wrong. Oh. They did an ultrasound. They're like, oh, your cancer's back. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're, we're going to remove your kidney, the tumors in your kidney, because it's all black and dead. I was like, thank God it's over. It's finally over. Oh, my God. I was in divorce <laughs> at the time. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so they discovered that. For context. That. Yeah. yeah, it was like... So it was really interesting. Um, they, they didn't have to remove my kidney. They did discover it was a blood clot. And then this guy who looks like Superman, who was a um, cardiologist, came into my hospital room and said, I wake up every day and I think to myself, I'm going to fill holes today. And I looked at him and went, holy fuck. You're like, uh, You're like Clark Kent. I want you to fill you mine. Fill. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was beyond. It was like beyond. It was like God said, here's this yeah. pie. What do you do with this pie? Yeah. Eat it. So, oh and then God. in the operating room with this dude <coughs> and his nurses, because they don't crack your chest open anymore. For a kidney. They just for my heart. Oh, for your heart. Oh, okay, yeah. They right. didn't crack my chest open. They just make an incision in your leg and thread right. the camera up with a little umbrella in your leg that they're wow. gonna that they're gonna make uh, yeah. close the hole in your heart. And so to make that incision in my leg, they have to inject Novocaine mm. into my groin. Now, if you recall the dentist, the the molecular weight of Novocaine, cane being the important part, mm-hmm. as in cocaine, mm-hmm. Novocaine. Uh, it's very heavy. And when we get that injection, it aches. In mm. our jaw, it just aches. There's something that aches about it. It's because of the molecular weight. So when they inject Novocaine into my groin so that they could make this incision and thread the camera up that big artery into yeah. your heart, it felt like the same thing. The same thing. And so I, because I'm awake, go, oh. It feels like the dentist between my legs. <laughs> and these nurses who couldn't contain themselves giggling to death yeah. because of what I said. Meanwhile, I'm on whatever, you know, sedative. I'm yeah. on Demerol, which yeah, is yeah. truth serum or whatever yeah. it was. And I thought, this, like, Doctor, this fill is my holes. <laughs> Seriously. Just like you know? the dentist. And it was amazing. And I thought that right there is I could die happy. I could yeah. die happy yeah, right yeah. now. No one knows two nurses were giggling. (laughs) And it was, but it was amazing. And having heart surgery, really um, feeling the umbrella close and feeling literally me have to take a breath because I'm twilight, but literally not knowing what they're doing. I'm not watching it. And I went (gasps) and took the deepest breath I've ever taken in my life. And I went, holy fuck. And in my brain, I was like, oh my God. My heartbeat's been rewritten right this moment. Wow. My heart, and it was the, the most coolest thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I just thought, this is fucking excellent. So I'm, I'm going to clean my car. Yeah. God, I'm going to clean my car. If I live through this, yeah, I am yeah. cleaning. It was just yeah. like amazing. Yeah, yeah. So and that was like when they, wow. when they like closed up the hole. That's right. You were like, 
Literally. Like when oh. uh, like so Uma Thurman cool. getting like yes. jammed yeah. into the heart with the movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it was it was so cool. And I just thought, you know, that is the coolest thing I've ever experienced so far. Yeah. Out of anything. Breast cancer was nothing compared to that. Yeah. And um and I just think, yeah, breast cancer, that's not organ pain. You know, organ pain is very, very different from, you know, tit pain. Mm. Yeah. You know, you can cut a tit off. Yeah. You did, know, you, did you have to have a mastectomy? Is that, no, what I is? had what's considered a partial mastectomy. I think, and of course, like most patients, I said, cut them <laughs> off. Doc, just cut everything off. I don't need them. I'm skinny. It's really punk rock for me to have these big scars. It's great. Love it. Just cut them off. It's going to be great. Yeah, great for my thought, image. Great for the publicist. Yeah. It would have been. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, Absolutely. how cool would that be? Yeah. Put a big a tattoo, an X across my chest. Doing shows but topless. They, you know, ultimately, out. they were like, well, we have the same outcomes with chemotherapy and radiation uh, versus doing the mastectomy. Mm. And I mean, years later, when I, I volunteer with enough girls who are rookie patients who are faced with the same things, um, you know, there's there's the skeptical people who go, well, it's cheaper for them not to do that double mm. surgery. It's cheaper for them just to throw right. you in the system. But I don't like to believe that. I like to believe that um, that was the correct mm-hmm. thing for me to do. And I mean, I can't really say. They took my ovaries out to make sure that there's no... Um, estrogen being made to grow it back. Mm. Um, oh, is oh that's interesting. Is that is that common? Uh, I for, think so. For breast cancer, you know. Patients? And I meet people who say, "Oh, they didn't take your uterus." Oh, well, you're going to get uterine cancer now from the cancer drugs that you took for breast cancer. And I just go Mazeltov, like that's great. Yeah, thank you, like, good. Jesus, thank you for the information. What do you, yeah. what do you thanks, say to thanks, that? Thanks, Pessy. Yeah. Like, you're really... but it's cool, you know. And I think that. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm glad that I went through it all because I like being able to know about it firsthand so that when I am working with a new patient, I can say, this is what I did. Or, yeah, I totally relate to that. This is what happened for me. And Ooh. now it's so different. If I was diagnosed today, I believe that my treatment protocol would have been very, very different. Mm-hmm. In what way? Uh, well, now uh, a lot of girls that I meet who are stage two like I was, uh, but if they have no lymph node involvement, for example, some of them don't get chemo. They only get radiation, you know, or they get, uh, you know, tamoxifen or arimidex for eight years instead of five Mm. and and nothing, you know. So there's lots of different things. I lost all my fingernails and my hair for my chemotherapy, but now... Fingernails? I didn't know that was a thing. They all went black, but my toes were fine. And some other chemotherapy protocols, people lose all their nails. Uh, But now they have these gloves that ladies wear during the infusion. No other time will it be effective. But during the infusion, they can put on these ice gloves, literally ice gloves, like that will keep their nails freeze on. Freeze your nails into place. It's the weirdest thing. Whoa, and I know so another girl who is uh, triple negative, and she wears an ice cap on her head uh, to keep her hair in. Whoa. Does, does that work? work? Apparently. Cool. So just and the they cooling hadn't effect developed of it? that. I'm not really sure. And again, you know, some of these uh, protocols are only during infusion. If they try it some other time, it doesn't work. But for whatever reason, yeah. during the infusion is when it's most important to do that. It's just like, and that all came from a clinical trial, mm-hmm. which is, you know, to mm-hmm. me, just amazing. The coolest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you know, the I probably missed it by a month yeah. or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah. Do, you, do you still perform? Do you still? Uh, you yeah, still... We, uh, so I wrote a book that came out in 2016. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Uh, with Harper Collins, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a really interesting experience. And again, my manager badgered me into writing this memoir. 
He's like, well, you haven't croaked, so you know you should write about Get it. Get to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it, it, it's just kind of funny. And we were Ooh. able to kind of um, fold uh, doing a book tour into an acoustic show. And we came to Halifax. We did two shows at the Carlton oh, nice. in Halifax, which was great. And basically, Such I read, read stories from the book, and then we'll play an acoustic song to go with the story. Now, the acoustic songs, were you writing them uh, or were you doing like renditions of older stuff? Correct. Mostly. There Mostly were two rendition? or three new ones, but mostly it was... Okay. Yeah. A question that I have for you is that, um, uh, you know, as, a, as a, an artist, uh, particularly a musician, how much did your... Did your did what you've gone through like affect your your writing and like and, and sort of find its way into... Your art. I, I I wonder this because uh, are you familiar with Winter Sleep? That's a band, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. They're a band like based out of uh, uh, Atlanta, Canada, based out of Halifax, and I they've see. they've done really well. And when I was when I was in uh, high school, late high school, and first like years of university, they were my favorite thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And their music was so sad ah. and so like just like gut wrenching and like heavy. And then. And then I think they all got like married and have ki- and had kids right. and got really fucking happy. Ah. And then like their later albums, I was like, fuck these guys. Like this is right. no longer any good. Yeah. They're, they're too happy. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. sorry, Winter Sleep. If, if you guys are listening, which one of you might be, uh, I'm really sorry. But your earlier stuff was better. Um, so I'm wondering if like if you're, if this like this obviously big shift in your own life right. played a role in, 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 in actually like changing the way that you you wrote your art and your your songs. Oh, definitely. Um, when I was still in chemo, I made a record called The Promise because uh, we still ha- I still had to work. Like mm-hmm. every other patient mm-hmm. that I knew, I still had to work full time. So in the studio, we did a record called The Promise and uh, one of the songs on there, which was the first single, was called Sick. And it was uh, about having chemo. Mm. And uh, I found that that record is very, very different from a lot of my other records in a, a lot of ways. Um, the record, the, the singles that we've made after that, I made a dance record after that that we never released called The Jakarta Project. And um, I had a single called So Happy I Could Die, uh, which is very directly related to how yeah. I live life. But it was kind of right after my, my heart surgery. And... Um, I don't know. With the new stuff, we've been writing a, a record for the last couple years, and the problem with releasing records now is it's just there's the motivation is so different because the way people experience and get their music is different. Yeah, there's yeah, no the revenue. Era, the in industry it. is completely shifted. I can't sell a CD at a show. <laughs> I give them away. Yeah. Because, yeah, or unless I call it a car CD. Yeah. And then yeah, I can sell for is, five so bucks. Yeah, sure. But <laughs> ultimately, so, so things have changed a lot, but we still, um, we're doing a rock tour that leaves this, uh, this month. And uh, yeah, we tour every summer and we still do lots of shows. I find that now uh, I've finally gotten comfortable with doing rock shows again, whereas for a long time I really only felt comfortable doing acoustic shows. Um, it just felt... Uh, to me, it felt unnatural to go back to the mosh pit and stage diving. I felt like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. It seems like it's contrived. That's not the Ooh. place I'm in. I don't feel like that. Mm. But in the last year, and particularly since I've started uh, playing music with my husband specifically, 
uh, yeah, now it's back to motorcycle boots and getting in fights. And mm-hmm. that, we and love it. It's yeah, so much right. fun. It's because it feels real. Yeah, and for a long time, I was comfortable just doing the acoustic stuff, and it actually worked out great because the book came out, and we did two national tours that were the book tour. So it was, it was the correct time. What was the book called? Ibificus. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Is, cool. there, is there a time and place still now for the acoustic stuff as well? Oh uh, yeah, I did one in Toronto uh, in July at the Harbourfront Centre, uh, and that was uh, part of their um, series they were doing called Brave, and uh, and that's always fun. And and my husband Snake gets really drunk on French wine <laughs> while I talk and talk yeah. and talk and yeah. talk, and then I go, "Are we ready to play a song?" And then he just kind of goes, "Okay." And then we play a song, and then I talk for another. <laughs> it's That's fun. Awesome. Out of your work through the palliative care uh, world, are you familiar with Stephen Jenkinson? I know that name. Yeah, he's wrote, he's written a couple books. One's called Die Wise. Oh, is this the guy Wise the name. guy that you were telling me about the other day? Yeah, I saw him uh, the other day at a sympo- at the death, International Death Symposium. I was speaking there. And, oh wow! And he was also a, a speaker there. Very interesting. Is he from here? He's from Northern Ontario. I see. And he he he, he teaches up there. He teaches a lot. He he's worked in palliative care like for like ages. Timmins or where in uh, it's you know what North it, Bay. I, I never heard of the place. Oh, it's uh it's. It's, it's like he lives on, he's a farmer, lives on some farm. But he does this live show that I saw the other night, and it was one of the most profound and cathartic performances I think I've ever witnessed wow. in my life. And he basically just, he, it's similar to what you were talking about, is he's up there, he's got a backing band, yeah. but it's very like slow, um, uh, moody, kind of bluesy stuff. And he reads passages from his book or, oh, or just writing wow. from his journal. Yeah. And, uh, and it's all around death and dying. Interesting. And it's, he's really, really fantastic. But wow. If, I, I mean, I'll I just, look him up. Look him up because I feel like you, he would be right, right up your alley. Well, there's a, there's a course here that they have that I've been interested in for a couple of years. And so and you've probably, you're probably familiar with it, but I wasn't until I moved here. And it's a course for death doula. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. And so that's something that I can see. Mm-hmm. It would be such an important uh, part. Just like people who like to use birth doulas mm-hmm. in their birth journey. Mm-hmm. I just, to me, it makes so much sense that there would be someone like that in the room for our family and for our patients. It's a beautiful concept. Yes, yeah. it is. Someone it is. to There's just a support great course you. Here. Yeah. It's like you know, mm-hmm. like like a you've got a you've got a, a buddy that's there just for that transition, that process. That's right. yeah. And not just your buddy for you, but for everybody else who's going to be in that room and, and involved yeah. with what that's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fucking beautiful. Yeah. I, remember, I remember somebody, I can't remember who it was now. I think it was, oh, it was Ben Nempton that mm-hmm. was like when we were talking about all these things in life, like if you are a basketball player or you're a hockey player or whatever, you're any, anything in the sports world, it's like you're expected to have a coach. Mm-hmm. And you're expected mm-hmm. to have a coach because you know that you don't know have all the answers and that somebody has been there before or at least studied mm-hmm. to a certain degree that can lead you and give you knowledge on how to be better in whatever that area is. And we're t- and in, in the conversation we're having with Ben was around um, therapy and that, you know, a therapist is a life coach. And, yes. and, it, and, he, and they give you insights on how to on how to weigh decisions and make all these things about life. And this death thing is like is is all the same. Like we. We can't expect to have to be experts in, in, in all these areas. Like we just intuitively know what to do. Mm-hmm. Some people do, for mm-hmm. sure. But the average person probably doesn't know how to how to go through 
grief, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, or, or to prepare for a loss or somebody or for somebody who's dying to, to die. Like that's mm-hmm. a really tough process. Mm-hmm. And to have that companion or person that has studied in this field to kind of be with you on that journey is, it'll, it just seems so common sense when you relate it to things like sports where it's like, mm-hmm. of course you have a coach. Mm-hmm. Of course right. you do. Yeah. But he, like even the most brilliant people on this planet have teachers. Of course, right. yeah. of yeah. course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's all these things in life that we just go, well, you should just know how to do that. That's yeah. right. Do you, do you think, um, like, what, what's your involvement currently right now in, in uh, like, volunteer work and, and palliative care and, and that yeah. kind of world? I'm waiting to do an orientation. Okay. Most of the hospitals, they want you to do their orientation before they mm-hmm. give you access to a ward. Um, how I came into it was kind of unorthodox because, again, you know, with social media, people can contact me uh, and with patients and with regular folks who don't have a podcast or, or who don't work in the entertainment industry, they contact me on Facebook more than any other place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not on Facebook. I used to be able to just post my Twitter post on there and now that stopped for some reason. I don't mm-hmm. know why that's not, they don't do that anymore, mm-hmm. but now I have to actually log in. Um, but they would contact me and say, my daughter is, you know, on the 10th floor at, at Vancouver General and uh, she's in palliative care. She's a big fan. It would mean a lot to the family if you came by. And I remember the first time I ever saw that and me thinking, oh, my fucking God, I don't know the first thing. I don't, yeah. what do I do? But I knew for sure there's not a possibility in, in me. I'm, it's not how I'm built. I can't say no. Mm-hmm. How can you say no to yeah, that? You right, cannot. Yeah. Yeah. So I went and... Uh, and it was, I, I became invested in the family and I went again the next day and then that's kind of how it started. And then someone else in the ward asked me to come and see their family member and that's just how it started really organically. And uh, from time to time, I, I still get those unorthodox requests mm-hmm. where I don't go through hospital administration. Right. And uh, I just am a repeat visitor. That's really incredible. I can't not think about it, like... How fucking trippy it would be if someone was on their deathbed. You you become a death doula. Someone's on their deathbed, and they are like, you know, they they are the biggest Biff naked fan. They always have been. They didn't even know. They didn't listen to this podcast. They didn't know you're into the death doula thing. And then they're like, your death doula's here, and in walks Biff naked, and they're like, I'm hallucinating. I I think it's happening now. You know, like, yeah. what a trip that would be. I guess so, but it's just, yeah. You know, ultimately, if, uh, you know, if I wear a sweater, a lot of people don't ever think it's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah, not sure. really. Sure. The, the tattoos are a, are a big, like, kind of giveaway, right? Mostly, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I, this, this, has been, uh, this has been such a, like, treat, this conversation, absolutely, yeah, and and, and for me, I, I honestly, yeah. I want to thank you so much for. Oh, thank you. For, I'm glad you we got in touch. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. definitely. And and I, I before we wrap it up, there's a question that we we often ask our guests uh, at near the end of the episode, and I I would be kicking myself if we didn't ask you this. Um, the first, it's a two parter. First one is, what would you say your experience in I mean, I, I want to just say with your breast, with with breast cancer, but I think like out of everything we've talked about today, your experience in all of that, what would you say is the biggest thing that it's taken away from you? 
Um, I think that it took away, for me, it took away any inflexibility that I had left. Um, if I was ever inflexible about anything in life, um, you know, people get thrown a curveball, uh, scheduling changes, anything like that. You know, people tend to, you know, go bananas over it. It, mm. it took away any last morsel of being inflexible that I had. And I think that it takes something like that to bring us into ourselves. And also for me, having breast cancer also coincided with me turning 40. So I couldn't differentiate um, what some of the benefits were if they just really came with age and experience or if they came with mm. um, being in the healthcare system or if it came with being in a room full of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all happened at the same time. And uh, to be able to kind of literally cancer, um, you know, heart surgery, stroke, anything that happened to me that was unexpected in my health or that threatened my life longevity forced me to roll my shoulders down my back really and truly and just relax. It forced me to go, okay. And start, I just became calm. And that was something that I can't attribute to a coping technique like optimism or, mm. or you know, jazz hands is what I called that attitude of coping. Um, it just forced me to stop being inflexible. And that, that's been really a great thing. Okay, so the second part is what's the biggest thing that it's given you? Uh, <laughs> and did you already just answer it? You well, know, like did you take yes that optimistic? No, because I try and think of what it gave me that I didn't have before. Because mm-hmm. I was always into um, learning about gurus. I was always into yoga. I was always into healthy eating. So you know, I had to search. It. I really struggled to figure out. You know, what did I learn without you know thinking to myself, "Oh, I I fucking knew it all." You know, <laughs> it wasn't like that. But what did I learn that was new? What happened that was new? And I think that what it really did was turn me into a woman. And Mm. prior to that, um, I think that I hadn't really, uh, I I can't describe it because I don't want to minimize it in a hippie way and go, well, I've, I found my fucking moon goddess or whatever (laughs) bullshit bullshit that that was. But it it threw me into menopause at 36 years old by taking out my ovaries. Mm. And, And suddenly I realized, oh, hey, dude, like our grandmothers were all like whining, cunty, like full of shit people because <laughs> there's nothing wrong with this shit. We don't bleed anymore. Literally, like, why is that bad? Like, and I, I suddenly was like, this is the biggest, greatest gift that ever happened was not bleeding and being, being a woman, like embracing, just embracing being a woman. Stop being orthorexic. Stop being like wanting to look like a boy with tits and stop. I really started to embrace myself. And again, I don't know if it was turning 40, mm. you know, and that, and that kind of um, relaxing into yourself that comes with age that I think happens to, to all people. I used to say all men and women, but now I have to say everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think it comes with age and experience that we, we start to chill out a little bit. Um, and yeah, and I really, really embraced it. I, I highly recommend menopause for any woman who's listening. I recommend it. It's like having a tropical vacation 
two or three times a day. <laughs> you know? There's no more. There's no more blood. You know, you don't have to worry about that. Um, I don't know. It's that's just, fucking amazing. Yeah, that's it's funny. the truth. And you know, when you when you learn to look at things with with that type of humor and <clears throat> you know silliness, and almost like your your ten year old Kundalini brain turns on uh, about life. Um, you can handle anything and anything that you're going to go through is actually, there's going to be not just epiphany in it. You're going to find a pleasure in it. Mm. This is, this is one of those moments where I, I, I feel so overwhelmed with gratitude. Are you guys going to make me cry? I am a menopausal. You're making me cry. I'm a menopausal woman. I I mean it. Like this is, this is one of those moments where I feel so overwhelmingly grateful to have, this with with the two of you that we've be able that we have, that we're able to have conversations like this. This this is a conversation that I'll never forget. And nor will I. I had no idea what to expect before you coming in here. And I I'm just like and 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 it's not about us because I know that even just those two answers you just gave, there's gonna be so many people that hear that and it's gonna touch them so fucking deeply. Yeah, and I'm so grateful uh, for that, and I'm so grateful for you. Like kittens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody with a kitten heart is so good. Yeah. So thank uh, you, no, thank, thank you for you. taking your time to yeah. come in today. No, it's been a real pl- privilege for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank do you, you so much. Before um, before you. we we wrap things up the way yeah. we do, um, what do you what do you like? What current projects are you, do you have on the go right now, and, and what do you want to? Uh, Shout out to the people who are listening. Yeah, shameless plug. Yeah. Oh, well, we're making a documentary called Ibificus right now. Nice. And um, yeah, it's a, it's, it wasn't my idea. And uh, it is just really, um, really uh, all consuming and, and it's amazing. I'm doing another book right now, which is uh, basically the ABCs of how to be a Zen riot girl. And, um, I don't know. We're we're doing a new record. It's going to be out in 2019, and it's extremely loud and boisterous, and which is very enjoyable for me. <laughs> Sweet. Um, and yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully, life continues to be uh, challenging, frustrating, and joyful, which Ooh. is how it should be. It should be full and just nuts every day mm-hmm. you know sweet well thanks yeah. everyone yeah. keep an eye out for that mm-hmm. well again beth thank you thank you guys for having me and thank you all so much for tuning in uh we'll be back next week as we always are and in the meantime head on over to apple podcasts uh rate review subscribe uh, it's one of those things that just keeps us on the itunes charts and it means the world to us so that people can hear amazing conversations just like this one that you just heard mm-hmm. um and if you want to uh support us so we can continue to make these trips to mm-hmm. talk to amazing people you can go to patreon.com slash sick boy big part of how we're able to be in this room with biff right now so um thank you to everybody who's helped us uh helped us in that and uh yeah if you'd like to support us patreon.com slash sick boy and a uh, big shout out to Donovan, the Meerkat Morgan for the sound design on the show. Um, you are greatly appreciated. And uh, thanks to um, Take Part for our regular theme music. And, uh, and that's all I got. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. And I am Beth. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.